This podcast is a production of Community Covenant Church in Eagle River, Alaska, a place where real people meet a real God to live in a real world. For more information, check out our website at communitycovenant.net. I'll read for you this morning the scripture for the message found in Joshua 24, verse 15. It says, But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourself this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods your forefathers served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living, But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Good morning. Happy New Year. I was laying in bed this morning listening to the news as I do almost every Sunday. It's one of the ways I deal with the anxiety of knowing that I have to stand up here three times and talk to hundreds of people. I lay there kind of in a catatonic state, uh, state listening to the news. And there's a piece on the news this morning uh, where they interviewed somebody from Wisconsin in the paper industry. And they were describing that the paper industry is basically disappearing. And, and this company that's been in business for years, family business, are really struggling. And the two reasons that they identified for why the paper industry is struggling is one, guess what? Email. And I laid there and I thought, I feel, I feel worse now having heard this because I use email. And the second reason why the paper industry is failing, the iPad. And I felt really bad because today, for the very first time, I'm going to be preaching from my iPad. So, you know, uh, so if any of you are in the paper industry, uh, I'm really at a weak moment. Come, come and I'll, I'll buy ream after ream of paper from you. But, uh, you know, sometimes you kind of have to move with the, with the way the world moves. And I'm actually quite nervous about this because any of you that are my age know that the uh, technology is great as long as it works. Now, for those of you who are young, you don't, you know, you, technology works all the time for you. But for us, it doesn't. So I'm, I'm terrified right now. But uh, nevertheless, we are starting a new series of sermons right now. And it is uh, entitled Family Matters. And uh, uh, if this is uh, something that uh, interests you, I hope it is, then uh, I think we're going to have over the next four or five weeks, six weeks, uh, some interesting and helpful conversation about different aspects of family. Uh, one of the things I want to begin by saying right from the beginning is, uh, is that there are no perfect families. Oh. I'm so glad you said that, Pastor. Oh, okay. There are no perfect families. In fact, I stand up before you today to confess to you that I do not have a perfect family. I had this wonderful ideal in my mind about what my vacation with my two boys this winter was going to be like. Then it warmed up. All the outdoor activities um, ceased, and they were trapped in our house for a week and a half. Um, there are no perfect families. It's true. It's, it's true, and it's okay. So if you're sitting here today and you're going, oh, thank you. And if that's all you needed from, from the sermon today, feel free to work on your grocery list. Feel free to think about something else. But if that's what you needed, I just gave it to you. So as we consider uh, family matters and we consider some aspects of family life, 
from a biblical perspective, our, our operative question throughout this whole series is going to be this. How can our family, with its unique qualities and characters, and I mean that in the nicest possible way, every, every family is filled with characters, as ours is, um, and um, some of us have, have cartoon characters for family members, and some of us have really odd people for uh, well, maybe cartoon odd is the same. But at any rate, um, the, the question is, how can our family, with all of its unique qualities and characters, live more fully into God's desire for us? That's the question. How can we and our family live more fully into God's desire for us? By asking this question in this particular way, and I, I tried to frame it very carefully, um, we are not concerned about how the family sitting next to us might choose to embody God's desire for them. Because the wonderful thing about families and about God is there's no sort of cookie-cutter approach to family living. There is none. The moment we begin to think that we've got to make our family look like the people next door, um, something comes unglued. It doesn't work that way. And by asking the question this way, we're also admitting that there is no one formula. There's no, there's no, I can't put you through a, a training exercise that will get everybody on the same page about what your family might look like in this really crazy world that we live in. So by asking this question, we are admitting right from the start of this sermon series that even though we may not have a perfect family, it's the only one we got. Right? It's the only one we got. And so uh, I think it's worth whatever it takes for us to live into the character that God desires for us and our families. That, that's what I think. Now, the reality of family life for most of us is that even though we can admit that our family isn't perfect and we've already been there, we still, we still have some imaginary ideal that we all strive for. It's true. Somewhere in the recesses of our mind, we have this, this notion of what a perfect family ought to look like. And even in our, in our sober moments, we realize we're never going to be like that. There, somewhere there's a tape playing that says, you're not measuring up. You're not measuring up. We have this imaginary ideal that we strive for. And as long as we don't achieve that ideal and we continue to strive, we continue to fail, and we continue to feel guilty about the fact that our family doesn't look like the family that we have created for ourselves in our heads. Have I kind of got this figured out? I mean, is that right? Oh, don't, don't, give, don't, don't answer that because I don't want you to give away that you're in the same place that I am today. Um, George Burns, who for many of you, you have no idea who this guy is. Those of you who know um, will appreciate his sense of humor. But he said this about families. He said, happiness is having a large, loving, caring, close-knit family in another city. <laughs> He's right on. Uh, I know that. I have a family in another city. It's, it's, it's great. So, so where do we get this ideal picture that we, that we hold on to so dearly? Where, where does our idea of a perfect family come from that shames us every time we realize our family isn't even close to reaching that idea? Well, as you might guess, our picture of family life is shaped by a variety of factors it's shaped by the socioeconomic influences of, of, our, uh, of our growing up. 
If we grew up poor, wearing hand-me-downs from three siblings twice removed, that gives us a certain picture of family life, right? Like you can never go buy new clothes because you don't have any experience with that. In fact, uh, in all likelihood, we will never force our own children to wear hand-me-downs if that's been our experience and it hasn't been a pleasant one. Another factor that contributes to our idea of family is the community from which we come, the community in which we live. If we grew up in a rural community, we're much more likely to view family as, as kind of an extension of the larger community, right? Grandpa, grandma, aunts, uncles, cousins, they all become part of our understanding of family. If, on the other hand, we grew up in an urban setting or like some of you grew up in a very transient setting because your job brings you to Alaska and then it takes you to Arkansas or whatever. If you grow up in that setting, we're much more likely to view our family as kind of a single entity. Uh, We often refer to that as as the nuclear family, right? Mom, dad, 2.4 kids and a dog and a gerbil. That's that's the you know, that's kind of the American ideal or it used to be. And when populations moved off farms and into cities to find jobs back in the 19th century, the urbanization of the family life gave us an entirely different picture, an entirely different ideal, really, of what families should look like. So if you don't believe me, I want you to just for a moment take a look at this montage of videos that um, will, will... hopefully support the point that I'm trying to make, that the image that we hold of family in our mind comes from someplace. And uh, after you watch this, tell me if you don't think you know where that place is. Here are Robert Young and Jane Wyatt. With Eleanor Donahue, Billy Gray, and Lauren Chapin in Father Knows Best. Tony Dow and Jerry Mathers as the Beaver, starring Dick Van Dyke, Rosemary, Maury Amsterdam, Larry Matthews, and Mary Tyler Moore. Guys like us, we had it made. Those were the get into any kind of trouble please feel free no matter how bad you think it is to come to your mother or me and we will try to help you okay Well, there you 
have it. Those are some of the cultural images that shape our understanding of what the ideal family looks like. And uh, if you can identify the ideal family in your head, it probably matches the era of the TV family that you just saw right there. I won't ask you to, to commit to any one of those families. My personal favorite, however, is the Brady Bunch. And what I've always wondered about is how, what ha how did this woman and this man uh, come together? Was it divorce? Was it death? I don't remember that there's any backstory. We just got two people that now have six kids and a maid that they kind of have to keep track of. And, and then another interesting thing, as we've uh, uh, moved through our sense of ideal of family, and you, you get up into uh, the Cosby show. Remember that show? Um, you know, he was known for all of his sweaters. Uh, I used to own one of his sweaters until just a couple of years ago, and it occurred to me that it was a little bit out of style. But nevertheless, um, the Cosby show always was curious to me, like he was a physician, I think, but he never left the house. So I didn't know how he did what he did. And, and then, of course, as we got uh, further along, friends redefined our idea of what family was. So now it wasn't mom, dad, and kids. It was friends hanging out together in apartments across from each other, and they could share life together. So that really defined family in a different way. And then we have the Simpsons, where um, I think there's some profound spiritual truth that uh, the Simpsons has, has promoted through the years. But there's one thing that really annoys me about the Simpsons, and that is, is, is that the father in the family is a buffoon, right? And for, for that reason, some parents don't like their kids to watch The Simpsons. Um, and then last but not least, I, I haven't watched uh, Modern Family all that much, but again, we have some dramatic shifts that are taking place on the way we define and understand family. Now, again, if you were to sit down and think about your ideal of family, my guess, it's just a guess, is that your family... Your ideal would look like one of those families there, depending on where you were, what age you were, and what, when you were watching uh, these shows on television. Well, as we consider what it means to be family, I, I would like for us to look at this passage of Scripture that was read for us a moment ago. It's going to be on the screen here in a second, and it's already been read for us. So I'm, I'm not going to read all of it yet one more time. I'm just going to grab the end of it, which is uh, Joshua who's talking to the people of God, and he says, As for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. You see, at, at the conclusion of a leader's life back in those days, and I guess we do that a little bit here in our culture too, um, but it was customary for the leader uh, to gather together the family, the tribe, and in some cases the entire community or even the nation in order to give kind of a final word of advice, some final wisdom, a final word of challenge to the people that are under their care, their charge. And uh, so Joshua, speaking to the people of God, after leading them from the desert into the promised land, says, if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, which, you know, makes you want to ask the question, what's the, what's the context for that, right? Were people complaining and moaning and groaning about where Joshua was leading or the, or the requirements that God was placing on them? But he says, if it seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourself this day who you're going to serve. The gods of your ancestors who are on the other side of the Euphrates, the gods of the Amorites who were in the, the country that they had just occupied, but for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Joshua is asking the people of Israel, Israel, 
to, to do whatever they want to do, but he's going to do what he knows to be right, and that is to serve God. See, here's a guy, Joshua, who has lived a lot of life. He's a, he's a man who has followed the dictates of God to the best of his ability. A man for whom life hasn't always been easy. You know, he's had to kill a few giants and, and he's had to lead a bunch of unruly people in places they didn't want to go. And here he is boiling down his life to this single phrase. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You see, it's not about military strategy here for Joshua. And he had plenty of that. It's not a plan on how to overtake the land that God has given the people of God. So it's not an occupation strategy. It, it was not a detailed formula for, for creating treaties with the enemies so that they could eventually you know, live in peace and prosperity. For Joshua, the most important question is this. I don't know what you desire to do with the rest of your life, but I know this. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. You see, it, it, it all begins with us, right? That's what Joshua is saying. And the first observation that I want to make about family matters for us this morning here in Eagle River, Alaska is, is it really doesn't matter what your perfect image of or your image of a perfect family looks like. It doesn't it doesn't really matter the, the families that we looked at, which one you're striving for. It doesn't matter whose voice is speaking most articulately in our day about the breakdown of the family and the impact that it's having on our society. You know, no one's arguing that point. Church, what matters is what are you and I going to do about it? What are we going to do about it in our own families? Joshua is right, you know. He, he, he was wise enough to know that you can't force families within his sphere of influence to, to behave a certain way and, and thus return to some, some idyllic time, kind of like the hobbits who dream, dreamt about the Shire whenever they went on a journey. The most important place for us to begin our conversation about family is with the same question that Joshua is asking the people of God. It's up to you. Community Covenant Church, it is up to you who you will follow. I'm just a transitional pastor. It's up to you. You can chase the gods of the Amorites. You can settle down with the gods of your, your ancestors beyond the, the Chugach Mountains. Or you can serve the Lord. Someone has said that there are no spiritual grandchildren. And I think that's right. Every, every generation has to decide whom they will serve, whom they will follow. Every generation must make the decision to follow in the footsteps of God, in, in the footsteps of Jesus, really, for themselves. And, and as much as I would like my children to adopt my values of the kingdom... And as hard as Roxy and I have tried to model and instill in them kingdom values during the course of their lives, in the end, it is up to them. I, uh, 
I remember when I had been severely banged up by an experience in a church once. And I wondered out loud to a friend of mine, what impact my experience and what my kids saw happen to me would have on their view of God and the church. This, by the way, is every pastor's nightmare. What are my kids going to think about God and the church as a result of sort of their inside view of life in this wonderful and wild thing called the church? And my friend looked at me and he said, you know, the best way to ensure what your kids will, uh, will grow into their own faith, you know what, the, you know what it is? And I, I think I knew, and I nodded, and he said, it's by how they see their parents respond and remain faithful to the God that they follow. Joshua says, that's for me and my house. Horace Bushnell, who wrote a book in, back in the last century, that sounds so old, it was called Christian Nurture. He believed that Christian nurture from parent to child is best achieved when the spirit of the parent's Christian life flows into their children and their children's developing character. He emphasized a nonverbal, a non-explicit approach. He said this, we preach too much and we live Christ too little. That's what Joshua is saying. It all begins with us, folks. We cannot continue to expect others to live our faith out for us. We cannot continue to blame our circumstances for our screwed up families. We can no longer afford to point our fingers at others and say, they are the reason for the breakdown of the family. No, they aren't. We are. It begins and it ends with us. Now, Jesus picks up this, this same theme by describing our true home in the Gospel of John when he says this, and the text will be on the screen. He said, I'm the real vine, and my father is the farmer, and in some translations it's the vine dresser. He cuts off every branch that doesn't bear grapes, and every branch that is grape-bearing he prunes back so that it will even be more you, have already pruned, you are already pruned back by the message that I have spoken. Live in me, and here's the part I want you to catch. Make your home in me just as I do in you, in the same way that a branch can't bear grapes by itself, but only by being joined to the vine. You can't bear fruit unless you are joined to me. Make your home. There, there's that theme again. Make your home in me just as I do in you. You see, what Jesus is doing here is he's talking about what a relationship to God looks like. And as Jesus often did, he points out to the vineyards, probably as far as the eye could see, and he says to his disciples, my relationship with God is similar to the relationship that these vines that you see around you have with the farmer that cares for them. He says, I am the fine and the father is the farmer, the vine dresser. You see, in there are times, Jesus says, when the vines need to be pruned. Because if you don't prune them, if you know anything about grapevines, then you can't get as large of, uh, of a crop of grapes uh, um, at, at, in the fall. 
Now, this is, the, the farmer doesn't prune the grapes because he wants to hurt the vines, but he's concerned about the, the health of the vines at the other end of the, of the day. The farmer knows what is best in order to produce the most delicious and, and most um, um, plentiful crop possible. And then Jesus ships gears here from vines and branches, and he says this to his disciples, live in me. Make your home in me just as I do in you. In the same way, that branch can't bear grapes by itself, but only by being joined to the vine. He says, make your home in me. Joshua says, as for me and my house. Jesus says, you want to experience intimacy with God? Make your home in me. Live in me, and I will live in you. For some of you today, you already know this truth to be true. Or at least you have a pretty good hunch that this is the case, even though you haven't always kept up your side of the bargain when it comes to making your home with Jesus. Okay, let's, let's acknowledge there's that possibility too. And there are some people here today who recognize that all is not well in their families. But you've never heard anyone suggest anything like this as a solution to whatever your family problems might be. You've been told a variety of things by a variety of people and, and perhaps you've even tried everything, and you find yourself here today about ready to give up on this whole family thing altogether. Now, I, I'm not suggesting to you that the solution to your family issues is as easy as jumping on the Jesus train. I, I'm not that naive, but... We can complain all we want about, about the apparent decline in, in family, whatever that means, until we're blue in the face and never get to the heart of the matter, which is us. Jesus says, make your home in me. So, if you have tried everything to fix your marriage that appears to be deteriorating right before your eyes, if you've prayed like crazy for your spouse and their issue with anger, if you've stayed up nights worried and wondering about the choices that your adolescent children or maybe even your adult children might be making that could harm them or harm others, I've got an idea. I've got an idea. Well, well, it's not exactly my idea. It was Joshua's idea first, and then Jesus picked it up a little later. If you want to create a home that reflects the shalom, the peace and security of God's kingdom, rather than the chaos and the rat race of our culture, then you must decide, you must decide who are you going to serve. Because you've got to serve somebody. And here again I date myself. Back in the 80s there was a, a musician named Bob Dylan Maybe it was the 70s. No, it was the 80s. But he's been around since the 50s. So uh, there's a lot of you that, that I know know that name. He had a short period of time where he became converted to Christianity. And in that time, it wasn't so short that he was able to put out a Christian album. And one of the songs on that album was entitled, You Gotta Serve Somebody. 
And this was what he was talking about. And he was right, you know. It's not a question of if. It's the question of who. Joshua knew when he said, Choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. And and with the same spirit, Jesus invited his first disciples to see their lives intricately connected to their God, just like a vine is connected to the vine dresser. And so we today are embarking on this series of sermons called Family Matters, and we do so with the recognition that we don't have perfect families. There, there I said it again. We may have a particular ideal, but I want to caution you not to, not to impose your ideal of family on, on the Bible. Instead, I want to ask you to consider paying less attention to the technique of what family, uh, healthy family looks like and spend more attention in the process of just being a family, good, bad, or ugly. And don't worry. Don't worry if your family doesn't look like mine. In fact, be thankful that your family is your own unique group of people, because God desires to shape you and your family in ways that are unique to you. So how do we get to the place where we begin, where Joshua asks us to begin? Here, here, here's some practical steps that I want to offer you today. And I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on on them. If, if they're not self-evident to you, you know, call me up and we'll go out for coffee and we can talk about it. But practical steps for living in kingdom values in your family life. First one, choose faith and not fear. Don't allow yourself to be bound by your own fears. Don't make important decisions about your family life, whatever that may be, out of a posture of fear. It, it, it just creates anxiety and chaos for all the members of your family and all the people around you. Faith, not fear. Two, choose to serve and not be served. Serving the people who know us best is probably one of the most difficult things to do in all the world. We know they don't deserve it some of the time. They know our motives are not always pure when we do serve, right? But serve nevertheless. Husbands, serve your wives. Wives, serve your husbands. Parents, serve your children. I'm not going to say any more about that because Pastor Neil is going to preach a sermon about that in a few weeks. Or maybe it's, maybe it's next week. I can't remember. Choose to serve and not be served. Choose to heal and not hurt. Sometimes we get in these very destructive cycles, at least this is my experience, of, of communication, either between spouses or parents and children. And, and, and every time you talk, it feels like a knife is being stabbed in between your ribs. Right? You know that feeling? The only way to stop this is for someone to lay down the white flag and actually stop. Just be quiet. Just sh- shut up. That sometimes is all you can do. It's painful at first, but in time, as one member of the family starts to engage in healing conversation, then things can change, in fact, dramatically. Lastly, choose to live from a posture of grace 
and not from guilt. You see, it's, it's difficult to live into the character of, of a family that is shaped by kingdom values when the only motivation we have for doing so is guilt. So, so leave all the guilt manipulation aside and practice a posture of grace, forgiveness, and love every chance you get. There will be times when our natural default will be to condemn and to create guilt. I know because for some of us that's, that's bred so deeply in our, in our character. But avoid this, even if it means walking away long enough to say a prayer and ask for God to give you grace in, in your next conversation that you have. Friends, there is no easy solution to some of the challenges that families that you and I are facing in our, in our life these days, the sooner that we understand that our, our own fundamental beliefs actually do affect our relationships with our families and to the people who are most important to us, the sooner that we can release our lives into the hands of a loving and generous God who wants each and every one of our families to reflect in in some small way the values of God's kingdom right here where we live in Eagle River, Alaska. So to that end, let's not grow weary. Don't give up. Perhaps family matters is important for us now because families have mattered to God all along. Let's pray together. We have this hope, God, that as we start a new year, there might be certain things in our lives that are different from last. And maybe we didn't come in here today with the intention of making it... uh, a family matter. But we recognize, as you have spoken to us today through the words of Joshua and Jesus, that perhaps that's the best place for us to focus our energy in these early weeks of this new year. So God, give us the courage, give us the hope, give us the sensibility, give us the grace to engage in the hard and necessary conversations that can enable us to to attend to the things that matter to you and ought to matter to us. We thank you, God, for cutting us all kinds of slack in this and a variety of other ways. And I pray today that you will begin in us a new sense of transforming vitality around knowing who we're going to serve and why we're going to do it and the impact that's going to have on our families and our community and the state of Alaska and this world. I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.